Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, October 22nd, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics is the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also, home of the best skate shopping in New England and the best deal, too. It's called the Beans Club. Join the Beans Club today for just 45 bucks which gets you 10 skate shoppings for the price of eight. That's right, two free skate shoppings when you join the Beans Club today. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester, plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. So week number seven in the NFL officially begins tonight with Thursday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks in San Francisco for this one. The Seahawks, six-and-a-half-point favorite. It is a must-win for them. As I said yesterday on my entire week seven preview, I do that every Wednesday. Tomorrow, I'm going to give my picks five games with the spread to close out the week. I do it every Friday. It's called Picks Picks. You can get it on this show, which I then... Cut up for you, and I put it on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Make sure you subscribe right now. Uh, so I'll get into this Seattle-San Francisco game before I close out the show, but a couple bigger stories. And you know what? I was going to begin, I really was going to begin today with Major League Baseball postseason stuff because if you want to go around the sports world, and you want to ask yourself the question, what is the biggest story of the day? And I try to do that every time before I hit record and start recording this podcast. Even before when I do a little prep work in here at my studio at Beantown Athletics. I ask myself this question. You know, because you want to lead with the top story of the day most of the time. But I always ask myself, what is the top story of the day? And this time of year, there's a lot going on. You know, we got the NHL regular season games being played. The NBA is going to begin their regular season on Tuesday night of next week. And there's some news there with regards to Tristan Thompson and his new contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we Obviously, with the Major League Baseball playoffs, we got that. We got the NFL going on. There's some other news that's also sprinkled around the sports world. It's a busy time of year. So when you ask yourself the question, what's the biggest story? Sometimes there are multiple answers, or you got to at least narrow it down to a couple different things. And, of course, Thursday night football, we're all into football. So that's it's a primetime game. And as much as it means to the Seattle Seahawks at 2-4, and four, a team that was in the Super Bowl last year, you know, they're not having a very good start to the season. It's a huge game for them. It's on prime time. It's a big game. It's a big story. I'll get to that. But it's not the biggest story. The biggest story, really, to answer the question is, what's the biggest story of the day? It's the New York Mets. They sweep the Cubs. And the Mets are going back to the World Series. And after that, you say to yourself, well, what's the next biggest story? It's what happened in the ALCS, the Toronto Blue Jays. Just like I told you they would do, they keep on fighting. Now, actually, I got a tweet today, and I, I get, I'm going to read the tweet off, actually, because, and I only, I don't see, I, I get a lot of garbage tweets. You get a lot of tweets, especially when you're in the business of 
making picks, on making predictions, on making statements that sometimes might come off as factual, when it really is just your opinion, you get people that they hear what they want and they want to make a comment. I, I got a tweet today <laughs> from someone, and it's random. It's in response, well, I guess it's in response to my David Price tweets, and I was getting some David Price tweets last night because when the Toronto Blue Jays, when they win that game yesterday, and they force a Game 6, they have today off, Game 6 will be played tomorrow night back in Kansas City. It's going to be David Price versus Yodano Ventura. And when when this game ends yesterday in Toronto and the Blue Jays win, I tweeted that, I think David Price is going to get the job done in game number six on Friday night. And, of course, everybody and their mothers tweeting me David Price's career postseason numbers like I don't fucking already know. Like I haven't talked about David Price's postseason. Like I haven't crushed David Price for his postseason career numbers. On this show, on WEI, in my columns for the Boston Metro, on my website at dannypicard.com, on Twitter you can follow me at Danny Picard, on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Any other fucking place do I talk shit and say things? I talk about David Price and how bad he's been in the postseason. Please, save your tweets. Save your 140 characters. You don't need to come to me to remind me how bad David Price has been in the postseason. I know. I talk about it all the time. So don't remind me of it. Now, I got a lot of people trying to remind me last night. And today, I, I get one randomly. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read those off because some of them are just people want to Google David Price career postseason rather than watch what he actually did in game two of the ALCS, and I'll get to that in a minute, but this tweet that came in today, the only reason I read this tweet off is because it comes from someone, when I I actually looked at their profile, they are currently hiking in Spain. So they're listening to my podcast while they're on some type of hiking adventure in Spain. At least that's what the the profile of this Twitter account says. Uh, His name is Digger. And his Twitter account is at TakeThisBread. He tweets me um, saying that, well, obviously acknowledging that he listens to the podcast. But you're listening to the podcast while you're hiking in Spain. I, I Believe me, all the respect in the world to you. And I appreciate you listening. So I'll give you the shout out here. Um, and he actually just a, a couple minutes ago responded to something I said to him saying, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, he says, it's my connection to home while in Ireland. So maybe he's got to update his profile, not in Spain. He's actually in Ireland. Okay. Either way, it, it, it is something that I saw, I read, and I immediately appreciated the fact that he actually listens to the podcast, but he said something to me <laughs> that he's kind of right and he's kind of wrong. He says, your predictions are entering the Costanza zone. <laughs> Brutal lately on the pod. <laughs> uh, I, I, I respect that comment for the reasons I just said. Um, but at the same time, I also want to clarify some things that, you know, I've got some predictions right that nobody wants to point out. And I will take the fact that when you enter the Major League Baseball postseason and you can say that, you can nail three of the four teams, three of the last four teams available. 
I'll take that any day of the week. Okay? Uh, so the only team I didn't get right that's in the league championship series that was, I had the Dodgers beating the Mets in the first round. But I also sat there and told you, well, look, I mean, that's a tough pick because either of those two teams win it. They could, I could see either of those two teams win in the World Series. Like that, I could see that. Any team that was left, I could see win in the World Series. Uh, and, but also, yesterday, I mean, if it's in response to something that I said yesterday, I told you that the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays were going to keep fighting. Like I, I thought the Blue Jays, they were not going to go down without a fight. And you saw that yesterday, how they were able to get a couple runs off Volquez, and then they got the big hit from Tulowitzki in that sixth inning off of Herrera, who came in and replaced Volquez after Volquez in the sixth inning walked in a run, and it gave the Blue Jays a 2 to nothing lead. You got the big hit from Tulowitzki, bases clearing, three-run double that gave the Blue Jays a 5 nothing lead, and it was over because Marco Estrada was great. Now, I didn't think that Estrada would be great in this one, but I told you that this Blue Jays team would keep fighting. They kept fighting. They did not go down without a fight. They win the game. They force a game six. Um, and and I get you're going to combine me. Maybe you're combining some of my NFL predictions because I get it. You know, well, last week I went, well, last week I went two, two, and one. Two wins, two losses, and a push. I mean, one of my losses was the Patriots and the Colts, the Colts' backdoor cover. And the other loss was Arizona in Pittsburgh against the Steelers team who ended up using a quarterback to beat the Cardinals that hadn't played an actual football game since 2012 when he was at Oklahoma. So, I mean, this, given the circumstances, I think that I got pretty unlucky that week. The week before, I went 3-2. and two. Uh, The week before, that wasn't great. But, uh, I, see, one thing, though, if you're going to come at me and say, yo, your predictions have been shit, this, that, the other thing. There's given predictions, and then there's given reasons for the predictions, which I think you can acknowledge, even if you're going to come at me and say some of your predictions lately and some of your picks haven't worked out. If you actually listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth and the method to my madness, uh, some of these beats have been pretty bad. And knowing that I lost those bets, if you were gonna, if you wanted me to go back in time... I still, I don't feel bad about the lot of pick, uh, but a lot of the picks that I've made lately, I don't feel bad about them because it's based on some numbers that I've given you, especially in the postseason, whether it's guys' numbers on, on a certain day's rest as a pitcher or a, a team's numbers against a certain guy in a certain stadium. I, I, I Look, I've given you some stats and numbers to back it up to go with the trends of some of the picks that I've made. And I get that the David Price pick, that I'm giving you, in which I think David Price, I just have this feeling that David Price is going to get it done in Game 6 tomorrow night. And I'll spend some more time tomorrow looking at this game um, because the game's not until tomorrow night, and I'll spend some time looking at a potential Game 7 between Stroman and Cueto. I call it Stroman-Cueto 2, Marcus Stroman versus Johnny Cueto. Each of these two guys pitched earlier in this series in Game 3, and Cueto got chased from the game. Stroman wasn't great. He was good enough, given the fact that Toronto's lineup was able to get to Cueto. We potentially have a rematch of that Game 3, Stroman-Cueto, on Saturday night in Game 7. But it's going to come down now to David Price because the Blue Jays won yesterday, and they forced a Game 6, and it's going to be David Price versus Yadano Ventura. Uh, I get that based on David Price's postseason numbers. It... it, it you're saying, why would you make that pick? Well, I, one is, it's mostly gut. But two, 
don't just Google David Price's postseason stats and give me the numbers. Because one, I already told you, I know what the fuck they are. Two, um, you got to watch game two of the ALCS, people. And you got to watch how that seventh inning played out. It was crazy. Everybody and their mothers saw the wheels falling off of David Price, and yet John Gibbons sat in the dugout or stood in the dugout, whatever he's doing at that point in time, with his hands in his pockets, chewing his bubble gum, refusing to come take him out of the game. Price was done. You, there is no reason why you should have kept him out. And on top of it, the inning began with a, with a, with a bloop single that dropped in a right field in which the second baseman Goins for Toronto is calling for it. Bautista's running down. That ball is Goins' ball. He's calling for it. That's it. You start waving your arms, calling for this ball. It's your ball. And he backed up off it because he was scared. He didn't want to get hit by Bautista. Sorry, can't happen. You're waving. You call it. It's yours. If Bautista runs into you, that's his fault. Make that be his fault. You back away after you wave for it. Your fault, Goins. That's how the inning began. You know, couple hits later, I'm saying it's 3-1. to one. I'm saying get him out. I said it live on the air on WEEI as I was watching it play out in the final minutes of my show last Saturday. I'm going, I saw the hit from Hosma opposite way. What, I think he took a slider at 86 the opposite way. Run scores. I'm going, get Price out of the game. Take him out. He was dealing through the six, first six innings. Dealing. He was awesome. And that was a, from, you know, I mean, the first six innings of that game, were they not, was it not a postseason game? It was a huge postseason game. Huge. Game number two. Uh, you are in a spot in which you lost the first game. You don't want to go down 2-0. David Price showed up. He pitched his balls off the first six innings. Wheels started to fall off in the seventh. I blame the manager. You got to pull him. Get him out. I mean, do you know how many times in Major League Baseball we've looked at a pitcher who was pulled maybe five and two-thirds, six and two-thirds, and, you know, the bullpen's able to get him out of it, or at least that guy's not on the mound when the hits are made, and we say, you know what, he pitched great. Well, a lot of that, we're able to say that because the manager can sense the wheels falling off and he makes the move. And he makes the move. Gibbons didn't make the move. You got to fact, if you're going to come to me with saying David Price, your prediction for him to win game six, or at least come out and be good enough to give the Blue Jays a chance to win, because I think that's basically all I'm saying. I think Price is going to get the job done. Now, will the Blue Jays offense get it done against Ventura? Oh, Ventura's a very good pitcher. And... He's been in this spot before. He's been in these moments before. He's on this Royals team. He's had a tremendous second half. Terrible first half of Ventura. Great second half. Right? Great second half. But, you know, I think that the Blue Jays, they were able to hit him in game two a little bit. And I think they should be able to do it again to the point where I'm predicting a game seven. But the the main reason I predict it is because I think... Price is going to be good enough to at least give his offense a chance to still win the game, given the type of high-powered offense that Toronto brings to the table, okay? And for me to say that I think Price is going to be good is not looking at all the career numbers. It's looking at what I saw, the progression of David Price throughout this postseason. Bad first start against Texas, comes out of the pen against Texas, wasn't great, but... uh. You know, maybe at times in his postseason career, Price has felt a little bit more comfortable out of the pen in the postseason. 
Um, and then game two, the first six innings, was it was great. He was dealing. David Price was dealing. He was giving the Blue Jays everything that they wanted out of him and then some and more. Okay? He did. You got to watch that. You got to factor that in. When I make the prediction, there's things that I've seen with my own eyes that I'm trying to tell you brings along the method to my madness. All right? So, please, the, coming at me, bad prediction this, bad prediction that. Well, a lot of these predictions that you say are bad, if I could go back in time and make them again, I'd be making the same picks because it's the same stuff that I've seen, the same stuff that I've based it on. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Now, look, we don't know what's going to happen. If it goes to Game 7, we'll talk about it, but I have plenty of time to talk about this game uh, tomorrow as well, and I'm sure we'll get back into some of that stuff as long as my picks for Week 7 in the NFL, five games with the spread. I, man, I was feeling... I'm getting these tweets. I felt, pre, I felt pretty good about my picks lately. I've been feeling good about them. And even some of the games I tell you to stay away from. You know, I tell you to stay away from a game. That doesn't mean I got it wrong. That, that means, you know, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Now, I got a pick for tonight's Thursday night game. <laughs> Setting myself up for complete failure uh, on the podcast. So I hope you li- hope you hike, whether you're hiking in Spain or you're listening from Ireland. Okay, thank you. I love it. And uh, I, I really do appreciate it. I, I know maybe sometimes on Twitter I could be a wise prick. Maybe sometimes on the show I could be a wise prick. But believe me, deep down inside, uh, anybody who listens to this show, uh, I have a great appreciation for that because you don't have to. There's a lot of things you can listen to. You don't have to. And, and I get it that sometimes when you get the smartphone and it's, you know, you're not driving around and just clicking radio stations that you've been listening to your whole life. It's, look, it's, I can't get on your phone and download this show for you and tell you to subscribe. I can't tell you to follow me on Twitter. I can't jump on your computer and click the follow button. But when you do and you listen, whether you agree with me or not, believe me, I pre- and I can be a wise prick after you tell me that. Uh, I can sometimes maybe come off like an asshole after that, but believe me, deep down inside, I really do appreciate it at the end of the day, you listening to the show. And I'm going to keep making predictions, whether they're right or wrong. I'm going to keep making them. And I got one for Thursday night. I'm not going to tell you to stay away from this one tonight. I got one for tonight. But that's not the biggest story. And as much as I just talk about the Blue Jays forcing a game six and mentioning that the Mets sweep the Cubs and the Mets are going to the World Series, to be honest, I don't think that... Yes, in the world of sports overall, a team clinching and the Mets clinching are going to the World Series, that's the biggest story. But in my life today, I come into this studio today, and I do a couple things. I check my email. I go on Boston Sports. And then I go to some of the local websites, like csnne.com, mainly because it's a website I used to write for. Um, they laid me off, but, eh, you know, no hot feelings. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hotter on myself. And I, get, I don't know if people know this or not. See, it's funny because you're in this business, and you know, I do this podcast. I've been doing this podcast for almost 10 fucking years. Um, I'm not going to tell you my whole life story here with this show. But I've taken it to many different radio stations, different internet outlets, places that collapsed, that gave up on their stations too soon, that gave up on me way too soon. Uh, You know, it's a lot of shit. Okay, there's a lot of shit. But I I feel like some people don't understand that my my background, too. I got a writing background here. I got a little writing background. I got some TV stuff that happened in the past, too, that could be happening in the future. But I I got a writing background. I mean, I started as a journalism major at UMass Amherst. 
for the sole purpose of trying to get on the radio. You know, podcast right now, you know, I'm on the WEI and I just got word I, I will be on this Saturday. See, I never know anymore because they got BC football and, you know, they got other shows now in the afternoon where I used to, I was doing a lot of one o'clock on Saturday. I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, so I got bumped from that. And, you know, they got the BC football, which, you know, I really don't care about, to be honest. I'll be brutally honest with you. I could give a fuck less about BC football, but I mean, they got to do what they got to do. I mean, they got to broadcast the game. It's part of the rights. I mean, it's part of, part of the package and the agreement that they have. So I can't beef with that. They have to play those games. Uh, and then they got to play the, the major league baseball postseason games and some other stuff that they have to play. And, and, and that's fine, but, but they're finding me a spot and I'm extremely grateful that, that they are trying to find me a spot. So I will be on Saturday after the BC game, <laughs> I don't think you're going to hear much BC football talk from me based on what you heard me say. But, um, you know, all of that said, all the radio stuff, the TV stuff that I do, the podcast here, all that's well and good. I think some people forget I, I'm, I have a writing background. I started as a journalism major. I was a writer for my school newspaper. I started my first job in this business was at the Boston Globe. At the Boston Globe, I covered high school sports. I was a sports hawk in the office, answering phones, updating stats for the paper, helping out with some of the, um, you know, the Thanksgiving preview and recap specials, the, the high school football season previews. I helped out with all that with Holmesy and Olby and the guys, and I got all the editors, their printouts walking around late at night. Uh, then they sent me out for the high school beat. I got my byline of the paper. I used to stand across country meets on weekend mornings out at Franklin Park or follow them around to where they would have their cross-country tournaments and interview parents and coaches and kids. And uh, I used to do all that stuff. I Boston Globe. I was at the Patriot Ledger. Uh, I got my, my start in this business, even though all the while I, I created my own podcast from scratch back in 06, 07. Uh, but I, I mean, I really, my first job, paying job in this business was a writing job as a, as a reporter, as a writer. And, you know, I took it to other places. I became, I covered all the pro sports. I covered all these teams in the locker rooms, did features, broke news, this, that, the other thing. I'm, I'm now a columnist for the Boston Metro. I don't know if many people know that. I'm trying to pump it out, but... Uh, you know, I try to pump a lot of shit out because, you know, when you ri- when you basically work for yourself, for your own show, you got to promote yourself. I'm my own promoter at the same time. So I get- maybe some people find that annoying on social media, but look, I got to do what I got to do. I mean, if no one else is going to promote me, I got to fucking promote myself, right? How else are we going to do this? <laughs> so, but but in the process, I try to pump out my weekly column in the Boston Metro. It's online. I believe the website is metro.us, but also every Friday you can see my mug in the newspaper uh, every Friday, and I believe it's available all weekend on newsstands or at the bus stops. You can get them in that little that little plastic box that you got to open and, and take it out of there. They're all over the buses and MBTA here in Boston, um, but if you're not in Boston, you can get it online, and I write a column I send it in every Thursday. I usually write it every Thursday morning. So when I get in here, here's the point of this whole story. I get in here, I come into the studio, and I write a column for the Boston Metro. On Thursday mornings, I write my column. Um, you know, on this, in this column today, yeah, I'm, I was fired up. I mean, 
Not to say that I don't put everything into my column every week. I do. But I think even, you know, some of the bigger name columnists out there can agree to this. There's not always there's not always the big passionate story that you're writing about. Sometimes you have to sort of search for it. And today I come in and see I didn't have to search for it today. Today was a day I didn't have to search for my story. I didn't have to search for my topic. My topic was pretty clear because I was passionate about it. And I come in the studio and I get it. You know, I do this podcast that's available on the internet. You know, I, I get a lot of listeners who aren't from the Boston area. Even though, you know, I, I'm born and raised in Southie. And I'm sure that when you listen to me talk, you can tell I'm from here, born and raised. You know, I, even so, based on the demographics that we get when we look at who listens to the podcast, it's it's not all people from Boston. It's people from all over. So I, I try to sometimes, if the if the local storyline isn't a huge blockbuster national storyline, I try to save the local storyline for maybe the end, the middle or the end of each podcast and open with the big major news. And there's no question. The big major national news today is MLB postseason related with the Mets sweeping the Cubs and the Mets going to the World Series. Uh, the Blue Jays, they keep fighting. They force a game six. And then, of course, you get the national story after that. Is yeah, I guess you got a couple baseball things like Don Mattingly, him and the Dodgers. Manager Don Mattingly and the Dodgers agree to part ways after five seasons together. That's a story. Um, and you got Thursday Night Football, Seattle and San Fran. And I'll get to that. And I got to pick for that. But I come in here today. And, and, and I'm, there's a story and a topic that... I'm extremely passionate about because you know I love the Boston Bruins. You know I love the Bees. Love them. That's what was so difficult about being a reporter for a couple years and then having to be sort of on the Bruins beat. I was on the beat for all the local teams, even the New England Revolution, right? Even the Revs. I covered the Revs for like four years. Saturday nights, Gillette Stadium, New England Revolution. You know, not my cup of tea. But you got to do what's on the schedule. And, I mean, I'm just grateful. to. Ha- I was grateful to have the work at the time. You know, as much as I don't like the Revs, as much as I'm not a big soccer fan and I don't necessarily respect the MLS, like maybe some diehard soccer fans would want me to respect the MLS. Um, you know, I, I wish I had that type of work going now at times because, you know, when you're out there looking for a job, you're out there looking for a job. It is what it is. I was grateful for the work. But I covered them all. But that was sometimes a tough part of covering the bees was that I was such a fan, you know? I was I loved the team. I grew up rooting for the black and gold and and look, I love the teams in this town and that's why I consider myself sort of an entertainer, yes. But I also read a column for the Boston Metro. And my topic today coming in, my column topic was right away. I didn't have to search for it. It was Bruins-related because last night, on Wednesday night, the Boston Bruins, they lost their fourth game of the season. They lost their fourth game of the season. They are now 2-4. and four. They lost their first three all at home. They went on the road to Colorado and to Phoenix, okay, to Arizona, and they won those games. And then they come home, and they lose last night at the Garden to the Philadelphia Flyers in overtime five to four the crazy part about this game was the Bruins took a 4-2 lead into the third period and then three unanswered goals from the Flyers two to tie it and then an absolute bomb from Giroux in OT bar down game over Flyers win 
five to four in OT. And you know, I'm on Twitter. I try to stay away from Twitter during the games because there's so much fucking nonsense. That's just like, I feel like people just they just need to tweet to tweet. They just need to throw something out there. Like, hey, I'm watching the game and I'm and I know hockey and here's what I gotta say. And you know, their bias doesn't necessarily come through whether it's liking a certain player, hating a certain player, liking a certain move, hating a certain move, and then something good happens, and they'll never, like, praise that guy, and you're going, wait, so now I'm on Twitter, and now I'm waiting for you to sort of praise this guy, because you've been knocking him so much. Like, are you going to praise him for what he just did? Because he just made a great play. No? You're not? Okay, well, just move on like it didn't happen, so the next time he makes a bad play, you can jump all over him and say this guy sucks and he shouldn't be making this much money. Please. See, one thing I'm always going to do is I'm going to point out the things I like, the things I hate. But even the things I hate, if that person's doing something good, I'm going to acknowledge it, tip my cap. I am. I'm going to do it. But I, So I try to stay away from Twitter during the games. I went on Twitter last night during the game. I fucked up. I fucked up. And, of course, you get wrapped in. And I'm not going to get wrapped into, like, going back and forth with other beat writers or other people who watch the team or fans. or do. I'm not going to do that. But I read it, I mean, I see it, and I saw a lot of people giving Tuka Rask shit last night. I see it again today. I hear it again today. A lot of people giving Tuka Rask, the Bruins goaltender, a hard time. So I come in here to the studio today, and I write my column for the Boston Metro, which you can get tomorrow. You might even be able to get it later tonight online. I think sometimes we put it online a a night earlier. Sometimes. But you might be able to get it tonight. Either way, follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. I'll tweet it out. But I wrote a story uh, in the Boston Metro, and I basically do my best to defend Tuka Rask. Now, back it up. Take it easy. Sit down. Don't scream and yell and curse me out here. All right? Hear me out. While I defend Tuka Rask, I also acknowledge, in fact, I open the column, acknowledge him, that Tuka Rask, and his 4.40 goals against average and his 22 goals against in the five games that he has started, which ranks, both of those stats rank second worst in the league among starting goaltenders. With those numbers, you cannot let Tuka Rask off the hook. He deserves some of the blame here, people. There's no question. I'm not sitting there denying it. While I write a column that defends him, I even begin the column by pointing out, while I defend Tuka Rask, he deserves some of the blame. But again, notice how I say some, not all. When I see some reactions from this Bruins team and what happened last night against the Flyers and this Bruins team in general that is now 2-4 and four to begin the season, I see a lot of people attacking Tuka Rask. Have there been some goals that we would like him to... St- to not let in? Have there been some shots that we would like him to save? Of course there have been. Of course. I'm not denying that. You gotta be a fucking fool to say that Tuka Rask has been great this season. Or even very good. You gotta be a fool. But look at this. Look at it this way. Some of the goals that go in on him. Okay? Some of the goals that go in. I don't care who's in that. I don't care who's in that. At this point, given the defensive depth that this team has, or should I say lack thereof, to the point where you got to call off Tommy Cross from the AHL. From the point where now, you got you got a trio of AHL defensemen playing for your NHL team on the blue line. 
and maybe a guy that I thought was an NHL defenseman, someone in Kevin Miller, is proven that he's not an NHL defenseman. He's an AHL defenseman. The Bruins defense, and I wrote this in my column last week, so here you go. You're getting back-to-back Bruins columns from me. I try to stay away from that, but I had to do it. I come in here today. I'm fired up about it because I, I, I'm listening to people. I'm watching people. I'm reading people. I'm seeing everybody crush Tuka Rask, and I'm sorry. Are you, because here's the question I'm going to ask you people that are crushing Tuka, the goaltender of the Boston Bruins. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Are you watching the shit that's going on in front of him? Are you paying attention to the stuff that is going on, not just in the Bruins' defensive zone, but even in the neutral zone? Even in the neutral zone. Because, see, the people that are going to point out the goals that Tuco let up last night, you know what? Let's get into them. You want to get into them? Let's get into them, shall we? Let's open. And I say open the show. I'm fucking half hour in. I'm already ranting on everything. Um, look, let's, let's get into it. The Flyers, they score first, right? They score first in this game. And they score midway through the first period. And it's a goal from Belmar, who's out front. And he gets outworked by Kempinen. Like, you couldn't believe. I, I don't know the last time I've seen a guy out front of the net get outworked like this. Belmar just wanted it more than any. Could have been, you know, Kempinen. Could have been anybody, really. I think Belmont would have just outworked him. But that just shows you the fight that this Bruins team has showed this season. Honestly. I mean, I guess maybe if Bergeron was out there, he probably wouldn't let this happen. Probably wouldn't get outworked. That's maybe the one guy I'd say wouldn't get outworked in this situation. Bottom line is this. Bruins got outworked. Belmont outworked the guy. Out front. I mean, multiple second effort, third effort. We're going to blame the goaltender for that? I, I'm not going to do it. All right? So that's one. Uh, Bruins tie up. Brett Conley rebound. Nice goal. On the doorstep, left post, ties the game at one. Uh, Sam Gagne, then in the first period, a little bit later on, uh, after the Bruins, you know, they just sort of, eh, they just try to chip it out of the zone. Like, that's another thing here with this Bruins team, going back to the defense, and it begins with the defense. The transition game begins with the defense. And if you watch the playoffs, you need a transition game. And if you watch the Bruins last year, they just don't have one. They don't. You know, they have guys that cannot retrieve the puck in their own zone cleanly. They have uh, guys that, if they can retrieve it cleanly, they have no play. They just, uh, they try, the first thing they think of is chip it off the half wall and just get it out. That, you're not going to be a good offensive team like that. If you're just thinking every time, going to chip it out of the zone. That's the frust- That's like frustrating Bruins hockey back in the day that we used to watch. Where they end up maybe even skating over the red line, dumping chase Bruins style. I mean, it's... It's bad, the transition game. But the second Flyers goal, they dish it out. Terrible line change from the Bees. They come in, and Gagne, look, this is, he puts it, he puts it through Kevin Miller's legs, right? And puts it upstairs. It's a tough, that's a tough shot to save. It is. It's not an easy shot. Would we have liked to see Tuka make the stop? Yeah. But that's not an easy shot to save. And Kevin Miller, you know, how, how much, are you going to skate backwards? What are you going to do? Skate, keep skating? Like, if Gagne kept skating, was Miller just going to skate backwards into Tuca? Did he have any knowledge of where he was on the ice at the time? And that happened a couple times in this game for Miller last night. It was like he didn't know where he was on the ice. Like, just no awareness of where you are defensively. 
when somebody's coming in on you. I, it, it was crazy to watch, but the, Miller had a tough night last night. But this is a shot goes sort of through his legs up. Rask is screened. Look, it, it wasn't a very pretty goal, but, I mean, that's where Gagne was shooting. He was trying to put it through Miller's legs because he had him in a vulnerable position. Miller just kept skating back. I mean, step up. Try to make a play, would you? Man, so that's a goal. I still, I look, I still have a tough time putting that goal on Tuca. And then the Bruins, they tie it at two. They take a 3-2 lead on a Chris Kelly goal. And then Jimmy Hayes makes it 4-2 in the second. And by the way, you know, one of the plays I'm pointing out, you know, I look on Twitter, people crush Chris Kelly. I, I had a tweet out. I usually don't tweet. I did tweet. I lied. I tweeted. I said, nice job at a broadcast going back on the replay and picking up what Chris Kelly did back in his defensive zone in front of his own net to knock a guy off a puck on a loose puck that probably should have been an easy flyer's goal. Chris Kelly with a great defensive play. What happens? Bruins cleanly get a rush up ice. Jimmy Hayes comes down, puts one in. You could say that shot probably shouldn't have went in, but he put it on net, put it low, five-fold, goes in. You take a 4-2 lead. But you got to give Chris Kelly a whole lot of credit for what he did in the defensive zone. But the people that crush Chris Kelly, they are not going to do that. Why would, you, why would you give Chris Kelly any credit for what he does defensively? And you know what? That's what the play that Kelly made last night for people that complain about his salary, this, that, the other thing, throw the money out the window for a second. That's why he's on the fucking team. Okay? Because if the defensemen aren't going to play defense, at least you get some forwards that are going to do it. And what we know from Chris Kelly is he will. And you know what? If it wasn't for Chris Kelly last night, this game doesn't even go into overtime. Flyers win it in the third. Alright? But we're just going over some of the goals. Jimmy Hayes scores. Chris Kelly, great job in front of his own net. Got to acknowledge it. They take a 4-2 lead. You go in the third period and you get Claude Giroux um, almost midway through, what, 12 minutes left, right, in the third period because Kevin Miller behind his own net and just shades of, I mean, I got, I got the, I just felt sick to my stomach. When this play happened, Kevin Miller, almost in the same exact spot, just a different rink, almost in the same exact spot as when he turned it over in the opening minutes of game six of that playoff game in Montreal two years ago, where he just a puck that's thrown behind the net. All he has to do is cleanly pick it up and he just coughs. He just he's behind the net in the goal behind the goal line and he just sort of. It redirects off his stick, and it just goes out front. He coughs it up, throws it right out front of the net. I think it was Lazella. Is that who it was? Scored? Whoever it was, Montreal scores. Opening minutes in Montreal, playoff game, because Kevin Miller turned the puck over on a play behind his goal line that he could not control, which was an easy play to control. Much like last night in the third period with a 4-2 lead, Kevin Miller, same exact spot, made me sick to my stomach, turns it over again. Flyers pick the puck up, throw it out front, Claude Giroux wide open. I mean, we putting that on Tuca? Come on now. Come on now. Please. So they, they cut the lead to 4-3. And then Wayne Simmons. Couple minutes later. Wayne Simmons, couple minutes later. Uh, it's just the Bruins' terrible attempt at a dump in. And uh, I think it was Pasternak. Simmons comes up. McQuaid... You want to talk about awareness and where you are on the ice? I mean, I don't know. McQuaid, I think, just needed a break. He just wanted to get off his feet, so he'd lie down on the ice. 
try to block it. I, get your stick in front of it. Come on now. And you know what, though? It was a snipe. I, Wayne Simmons sniped. He sniped. I, you know, you, the only place he could have put that puck, he put it. And he ties the game at four. And then in overtime, on a power play, Claude Giroux sort of sends this one-timer from the top of the left circle. Bar down. Flyers win. People are putting this game on Tuca. I, look, I, I cannot take Tuca off the hook. He has not been great this season. But if you look at some things that are going on with the Bruins defensemen and with the defensive play as a whole in their own zone and even in the neutral zone, it's horrible. In fact, as I point out in my column for the Boston Metro, it is the blueprint. What the Bruins are doing in their own zone and in the neutral zone defensively, it's the blueprint for a disastrous season in the National Hockey League, especially when you're an organization that for the last seven, eight years has been so successful with defensive hockey, where defensive hockey has been the blueprint to your success. Like the thing that Chris Kelly did before the Jimmy Hayes goal, that is what the Bruins live and die by. But you don't see enough of that anymore for a couple reasons. And the main reason being I pointed this out many times in my column last week for the Metro on my on this show on WEI again wherever I have a forum I pointed out the Bruins they traded Dougie they traded jo- Dougie Hamilton they traded Johnny Boychuk two top four defensemen and they got draft picks back in return and they never replaced Boychuk last year and so far this this past went this past summer they have not replaced Dougie Hamilton okay and they lose Dennis Seidenberg to another injury. You've lost three top four defensemen in the last year and a half, and really in the last calendar year, because you traded Boychuk last October, right before the season began, and you never replaced. You're not replacing those guys. You're replacing them with players in your organization. And look, I've said it many times before, and somebody called up WEI last weekend. They were like, oh, you're pontificating. All you're doing is saying what's going on, and you're not giving any players to give an example of who to replace. Well, it's pretty fucking obvious, dickhead. What they're doing, they're replacing these players because they're believing in the kids. And they're going to use these draft picks to get some players. And I wouldn't be surprised if they now trade Zidane Chara at some point for some more draft picks and some more prospects. The Lucic trade. I mean, Colin Miller. I, I like some things that I've seen out of him so far, but... He's not going to immediately pan out to be a top four defenseman, even though right now on the depth chart, he's got to be there. I like Krug, but I really don't like McQuaid. McQuaid, but at the same time, McQuaid brings this tough guy factor that you still need to have in the NHL, and you don't really have anywhere else on the team. I guess you got Ronaldo, and oh, by the way, I told you I'd give you my take on Ronaldo's hit last night on Couturier. Thought it was shit. Thought it was a piece of shit hit for a piece of shit. That, that's what I thought it was. A piece of shit hit coming from a piece of shit. That's what it was. You can try to explain to me all you want that Katoria is a big kid or he didn't hit him in the head. He didn't get his elbow up. And people keep saying he didn't launch. Well, I, look, I, you if you really want to get technical about it, yeah, I think his skates kind of came off the ice a little bit. I kind of consider that a launch. But even if it's not a launch... We keep using this word predatory with hits in the NHL. It was fucking predatory, okay? He didn't even have the puck. And there was already a guy on Couturier down the half wall riding him into the boards. 
This isn't WWE. You're not the fucking nasty boys with a double-team finisher off the top rope. You can't do that. And people trying to explain it on Twitter last night during the game, which again is another reason why I don't go on during the games. Try to explain why it's a good... Well, look, here's how I like to look at these hits. I try to put the shoe on the other foot. And I say to myself, if that's Bergeron last night, coming down the half wall in the offensive zone, and he sort of drops the puck back to the point, thinking there's someone there, or it gets broken up, and he doesn't have the puck, and it's behind him, and there's already a guy riding Bergeron into the half wall, and there's somebody who has a history, and you know what, forget about the history for a second, anybody, there's somebody coming at him full speed, looking to put a check on him. That could have easily been avoidable, when he doesn't even have the puck. If somebody made that hit on Bergeron, we would be calling for a life sentence. We would. We would. And you know what? We called for Burmistrov with his elbow in the first game of the season to Bergeron's head. That was garbage. That was dirty. You can't do that. And I'm shocked that Burmistrov was not, su- was not suspended for that. But maybe this is a makeup call. They say, you know what? We didn't spend a guy. We didn't suspend a guy who hit Bergeron. So, all right. Zach Ronaldo, we won't suspend him. He got ejected from the game last night. Rightfully so. But the news is today, Ronaldo will not get suspension. But it might be a makeup call for not suspending Burmistrov after that elbow to Bergeron. But to sit here, even with that ruling, you look, I'm shocked at that. I'm shocked at that ruling. I really am. Shocked at it. Even with that ruling, you want me to sit here and tell you how I felt about the Ronaldo hit last night? That piece of shit hit. Was it the worst hit I've ever seen? Of course not. Of course not. So many worse hits than that, folks. And... You know, I I know I've come off in the past as someone that has tried to tell, whether it's media types or other fans, I've I've come off as someone that definitely, and you're right if you're saying this right now about me, I've come off as someone who tries to defend the big hit. I do. I defend the big hit. I defend the physical play. And I do think that, and I've said this and defended this many times before, I think that sometimes people get their panties in a bunch over a hit that is hard in a hard-hitting, fast-paced game. Where sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to slow the hit down and try to put ourselves in the skates of the guy making the hit and say, well, he should have pulled up off that hit. Like, that's full-speed game. You know, we slowed it down. He should have pulled up. He didn't have to make that hit. People say that. And I look at it and go, well, wait a minute. It's, it's awfully tough to pull up off certain hits. And there are certain hits that happen along the boards in which a guy who's getting hit, hit from behind, he sort of turns his back on the hit, and I'm going, you're asking someone to pull up last second when he sees the numbers, when the guy turns his numbers into the hit. Like, take the hit, shoulder to shoulder. You're taught in this game, okay? When you're a peewee, when hitting begins. At least that's what it began when I was playing. Who knows what they do now? They probably don't fucking begin hitting until uh, midgets. Uh, the way sometimes we react to certain things in this world. But, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, they teach you how to hit, finish your checks. That's part of the game. There were legit clinics that we would go to where there's no pucks on the ice. You are finishing your checks. That's it. Guy against the boards. Finish your check. Here's how you hit. Finish your check. All right? You never once heard anybody in those clinics say, if you're getting hit, make sure you turn your numbers to the hit. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Take the hit. Embrace the hit. It's a hit in sport. 
So there's a lot of times where they have big hits, and I come off as someone who's defended the hit, saying it's awfully difficult for someone to just pull up in a fast-paced game, in a league, and a sport in which you're taught to finish your checks. It's tough to pull up off that big hit if you've got your mind set to it, and he's got the puck. But those are the ones along the boards. Those are the ones in which the guy has the puck on his stick. Couturier didn't have the puck. He didn't. And it's a hit that Ronaldo made his mind up on probably 10 seconds before then. Eight seconds before then. And he did not have to make that hit. I, I, thought, it was a, I thought it was a piece of shit hit. I did. And, um, you know, they gave up a fucking third-round pick for this guy. I'm shocked that he's not getting suspended. But if you think that's going to be the last type of hit like that he throws this season, you're out of your mind. I mean, history shows. It's on his resume. Big and bold at the top of that resume. I'm going to hit you. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be clean. And I know there's an argument that was going on social media last night and in the sports world and the hockey world today, especially with the ruling coming down that Ronaldo will not get suspended. There's an argument. Was it clean or was it not? I know it wasn't to the head. I know the elbow wasn't up. I think we could... I think there's an argument. If you want to say he he launched at him, I just think Katoria didn't have the puck. And since Katoria is already getting rid of... He's, somebody's already riding him into the boards at the half wall... You don't need a second guy coming in making a hit, especially if he doesn't have the puck. That's a piece of shit hit to me. It is. So, but if we're looking for tough guys in this Bruins team, I, I guess we've got to call Ronaldo one of them, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I want to go there, but if you, you want to look at the definition of that and what the Bruins have to offer, I mean, look... They don't have a lot of those guys anymore. And that's why McQuaid, as much as I don't like him as a defenseman, you got to keep him around. You do. you got to keep him around. And, uh, but now you're asking, I mean, you're asking McQuaid to be a top two, top four defenseman. He's not that. You're asking, you're asking bottom pair defenseman and AHL defenseman to be top four defensemen. And when you ask them to be that, and when you, when that is going to be, the depth shot and the roster that you and the lineup you throw out in the ice on any given night, then consider me, as I put as I put in my column last week, consider me someone that won't be surprised if this is a frustrating Bruins season. I don't care who's in net. I don't care who's between the pipes. And for everybody that's putting this game last night on Tuka Rask, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you to do. I need you to watch the stuff that goes on around him in their defensive zone. Pay attention here. See what's happening. It's ugly. It is ugly. And in fact, in the first two minutes of this game last night, the first two and a half minutes, Tuka Rask made two huge saves on defensive breakdowns that we would be adding to the list if Tuka didn't make the stop. It's easy for people to not bring those saves up because they happened at the very beginning of the game. And the way the game ended, when you had a 4-2 lead in the third period... Yeah, I get it. You don't want to go back to the beginning of the first. Well, if you're going to sit here and crush Tuka Rask today for the saves that you think he didn't make and you want to get into this whole argument of, well, Tuka needs to steal this team games and he's not doing it and he's going to make that much money, he better steal them some games. As I put in my column for the Metro that'll be out tomorrow and possibly online tonight. Yes, you're right. Tuka Rask needs to steal this Bruins team some games. There's no question about it. He has to. Tuca needs to steal this team some games. But there's asking Tuca to steal your games, and then there's asking him 
to rob a bank. Because that's what you're doing right now. You're not asking Tuca to steal games based on what this defense looks like and the decisions that they're making and the breakdowns that they're having. You're not asking Tuca to steal your games. You're asking him to rob a bank. And that never ends well. (laughs) All right? That never ends well. So, when you point out the goals that Tuca let up last night, Look at the defensive breakdowns around them. But also point out, you want to say steal your games? The first three minutes of this game last night, if you'd have stopped the game there, I'd say Tuka stole in the game with two saves in the first three minutes. One, you get Colin Miller behind his own net, loses the puck, loses a battle, turns it over behind the net, and then gets pushed around. On He gets pushed on top of the net. Like he's just getting manhandled. They steal the puck from behind his own net. They push him down into the net. They throw it up the boards. They get a clean shot from the point. With a little screen out front, who knows what's going to happen. Tuchel got his glove on it. Face off. This is like three minutes into the game, right? Two and a half minutes into the game. And then, ensuing face off, the Bruins' little lazy flip up the boards, out of the zone, another chip that they like to do, a little chip it out of the zone. Bruins love to just chip it out. Not going to get any offense there. But when you do chip it out, right, like you did right on this ensuing faceoff, your defense need to be on their A game as they step up to the blue line. Because at that point, you chip it out. Kevin Miller's on the right side. Tommy Cross is on the left. All of a sudden, the Flyers, they throw the puck up middle of the ice. You get a guy that steps up into the play over the blue line and he splits the D because the D and Kevin Miller and Tommy Cross are so far spread out and they're flat-footed, it was like they didn't even know this play was going to develop. But don't be out there trying to predict the future. You should always be in the right spot. They can't even do that. They can't even do that. And that's a breakdown. And the guy steps in, splits the D, he gets a clean shot on net. Huge left pad save by Tuka Rask early in the opening minutes of this game. Two saves right there. You want to talk about stealing the game? Right there. What what was that? We're going to forget about those saves? Come on. You know, you don't even want to point them out because you have an agenda. You don't like Tuka. If you're out there crushing Tuka today, I think, I just don't think you're seeing what's going on in front of him. Again, Tuka needs to steal this team some games. Absolutely. But right now, the Bruins are asking him to rob a fucking bank. And that is not gonna end well. Won't. And I, I don't think I'll be putting it on him. Not all of it, at least. I told you. I mean, look, when you let up this many goals this early in the season and you get the second worst goals against average in the league... Clearly, you can't let the guy off the hook, all right? You can't. But to sit here today and just make all, put all the blame and point the finger strictly at the goaltender is just, is not, is not seeing the big picture here. There's a bigger picture. There's some other shit going on, and it's time to stop paying attention to it before you just try to call for Tuka's head, all right? That's it. It's my Bruins rant. I'm going to end that Bruins, I'm going to end NHL talk on there. We'll get to some NBA talk next week because next week the NBA regular season begins. Uh, get to some Celtic stuff as well. You know, I love the Seas. You got a lot of gods on that team, though. I, I do like Amir Johnson. I like David Lee, too. I like the Celtics. I don't think they're going to win a championship. But I think with all these gods and maybe some of these picks, who knows what you're going to do? Danny Ainge, don't, 
don't sleep on him getting creative. My only fear would be that some of these other teams don't want the assets that he thinks he has. That's it. I'll also be seeing what the Brooklyn Nets are going to do this year. That's okay. Yeah, we'll keep our eye on uh, on the Brooklyn Nets, shall we? But I'll get to some NBA next week. Uh, I mentioned the top national stories. I I won't just completely ignore what happened at Wrigley last night. I have to talk about it because the Mets are going to the World Series. They sweep the Cubs. They're World Series bound. Jason Hamill let up two home runs in the first inning. And the game was over. Not the home runs in the first inning. I mean, silenced Wrigley. Place you could hear a fucking pin drop in that place. And, uh... But the game wasn't over then. It was 4-0 after the, after the first, after the top of the first. The Mets hit two home runs off Hamill, who has proven is no good with extra days rest. I mean, if he's even good anyways, in general, he's definitely no good with extra days rest. We've seen that in this postseason, especially early in the games. If you don't let him get settled in, you got, and, and they didn't. They didn't let him get settled in. They hit two home runs off him early, first inning. 4-0 lead, Mets. You go to the bottom of the first, it wasn't necessarily over at that point in time until Steven Matz, the young kid from Long Island, grew up a Mets fan in Wrigley. They're asking him, you know, is there pressure? Sure, there's pressure being on the mound in the postseason for your hometown team being a kid in diapers. Of course, there's pressure. You don't have much major league experience, there's pressure. But with the situation, you're up 3 0. I know people wanted to get into, well, look back at the Red Sox. In 2004 against the Yankees, they said, hey, Red Sox said, don't let us win tonight because we got Pedro in game five, then we got Schilling in game six, and anything can happen in game seven. I mean, look, as a Red Sox fan back in 04, I was saying that same shit. I felt that way. But I took way too many comparisons with this Cubs team and that Red Sox team just because Theo's running the show. I'm sorry. Can Theo get on the mound and pitch? But on top of that... What I try to do, at least I did it on yesterday's podcast, to sort of throw the comparison out the window was, when the Red Sox did that, the team they were playing against in the ensuing games, games 5, 6, and 7, they weren't necessarily throwing out uh, Javi, Syndergaard, and DeGrom, okay? There's a, there's a difference with what the Yankees were then throwing at the Red Sox in the 4 ALCS with the Yankees starting pitching, and then what the Mets would be throwing at the Cubs in games 5, 6, and 7 of the NLCS this year, if the Cubs were able to win last night, right? So the pressure on Mats, it, I threw out the comparison between Red Sox-Cubs, please, going into the game, I told you it's stupid, especially now considering the fact that the Cubs get swept. But they did it because they, the Mets hit two home runs in the first inning. They took a 4 nothing lead early. It silenced the joint, but it didn't end the game. You know what ended the game? Steven Mats jumping on the mound, and... He retired the first eight Cubs, but it was even over before then because in the bottom of the first, he gets an out, and then he strikes out Soler, and he strikes out Bryant to end the first. Strikes out Soler, and then strikes out Chris Bryant. And at that point, if you're a Cubs fan, you're going, shit. Not only are we down 4 nothing, but it looks like the kid brought his best stuff. <laughs> and it looks like our Cubbies are kind of having the reaction to, uh-oh. You know, they could, you could tell when Mats goes out, and he goes one, two, three in the bottom of the first, and the Mets lead a four nothing, and they're about to get up again. The looks 
on the Cubs players' faces, even Joe Madden, they show him, the looks on their faces, it was like you could see the wheels spinning inside. Like, they started to think to themselves, uh, we got a pretty long road if we actually wanted to come back and win this. And if you start thinking long-term at that point, like, if you start thinking the whole series and how much you have to win to even, you know, to, to get through this, then you're never going to win that one game. You have to take it pitch by pitch, one pitch at a time, one inning at a time, or you have no shot. The Cubs might have went into that game thinking one inning at a time, but by the time that first inning was over where they allowed four runs on two home runs in the top of the first, and then Steven Matz ring him up, sit him down with two strikeouts to end the inning, the first inning, one, two, three. At that point, Cubs start thinking big picture, and they stop thinking inning to inning. And you could tell, looks in their faces, it was over at that point. Just the, the hill was too high for them to climb. Uh, or you want to go the other way, the hole that they were in, it was going to be too much to dig themselves out of. And uh, that was it. The game was over after that first inning. And the Mets win it. And you can look at this series. Oh, and last night, also got to mention, Daniel Murphy, another home run. Hits it in the eighth, a two-run homer. Daniel Murphy now sets a new Major League Baseball postseason record with home runs in six straight games. Six straight games with a postseason home run. That's a new MLB record. You look at his numbers, this guy. He's hitting over 400 with seven home runs and 11 RBIs in nine postseason games this year. Whoever signs him, whoever brings him in, whoever brings Daniel Murphy in, he's 30 years old. He's the best player in baseball right now. I tell you what, I think someone's going to overpay for him big time, though. I think this is setting up for an overpayment of the winter in Major League Baseball. I, I really do think so. And that's not to take away anything that the guy's done. He's been phenomenal, and the Mets should be overly happy and thrilled to have him. But, uh, you know, the guy's going to get paid this winter. And I am not so sure the money that he gets is going to be equivalent to what he actually is, if that makes any sense. I know that's hard to fathom based on the fact that he's unstoppable. And if you ask me if I'm pitching to Daniel Murphy in the World Series, no, I don't give him anything to hit. Everything's down and away. Everything's down and away. If I put him on, I put him on. That's it. If I walk him, I walk him. I'd rather have him walking to first base, knowing that I have someone covering second, <laughs> right? You know how he likes to steal that extra base after a base on balls. Uh, I'd rather walk him, put him on first base, than have him put one in the seats. I don't care what the situation is, to be honest. I might even load the bases. Cespedes with a shoulder injury? What's he, golfing? What the fuck is he doing? Man, I mean, I've been sitting here saying I would love to throw money at Cespedes if I'm a major league team this winter. Right? He's been phenomenal. But you can't be out golfing before the game. Like, what are we doing here, people? I, who do they, and who are these guys? Who, is his, who are his friends? Like, does Cespedes have friends? I'd like to think if I was a major league player who was in the postseason. Like, I get it. Golf's not a contact sport. It's not something that a professional athlete should go do and walk away from and walk away injured. You shouldn't. But... You swing a club. Sometimes you swing hard. You might, you might hit the dirt. You might pull something. It's not even worth it. You can golf all winter long back home. Go, go wherever you go. 
Go golf all winter. You have all winter to golf. You're in the playoffs. But if I'm in that spot, forget about the fact that I'm going to be a free agent making big money. If I have any friends in the world that will let me golf with them on that day, then they're the biggest bunch of dickheads I would ever know. They would not even be friends at that point. If you even allow me to golf in that spot. So who is Cespedes' friends that are even letting them golf? Man. I, now, of course, what are they going to do? I mean, in Chicago, yeah, you let them golf. I tell you, hey, play, you know what? Play two rounds free on me. Don't worry about it. Right? I, you know what? There's a longest drive hole. Every hole. We'll create a new competition for you. Longest drive every hole. I want you swinging as hard as you can every hole. Yeah, big game tonight, huh? Oh, I thought it was tomorrow night. Oh, no, it's tonight. Oh, too bad. Oh, good luck. Have a great day in the course, Yoannis. <laughs> I mean, no one in Chicago is going to stop him from golfing. But what's he golfing for? Stupid. Stupid. But um, back to Murphy. I wouldn't pitch to Murphy in the World Series. Wouldn't do it. He's on a tear. He's been phenomenal. He's the best pit- He's the best player in baseball right now, other than maybe some pitches. Best pitches in baseball are his staff. I mean, you look at the NLCS. The, look, the Cubs are going to be – the Cubs set themselves up for, for a good – couple good years of postseason runs. They're going to be back. And you know what? They're going to be in the World Series at some point the next couple years. And they might even win it all. But you know what? They ran into a rotation – that, look, I mean, Javi beat Lester in game one. Syndergaard beat Arietta in game two. Then you get game three, DeGrom versus Hendricks. It's not even close. DeGrom. I mean, DeGrom might be better than Syndergaard and Javi. So, DeGrom's been phenomenal in the postseason. And he's won all his games, all three, on the road. So, I think the Cubs just ran into a, a, a rotation that was a little better and a little deeper. But they still, you know, I think the Cubs will go out. I think they'll try to add another pitcher. And to when they get back to this spot next year, you know, you you get in a position. Maybe you don't have to play that wild card game. Maybe you can win your division. And, uh, you know, you look at it and you say, maybe you get the first two games of that series in your own building and maybe things are a little different. Who knows? But Cubs will be back. They'll be back in that spot. They're in good shape. They really are. I expect them. Uh, to be back battling, maybe in the NLCS, maybe in the World Series next year. But it's going to be the Mets. They sweep. They go in the World Series. They'll get a couple days off. And now the ALCS, we wait to see Game 6 tomorrow night as the Blue Jays won yesterday. You know, Volquez, he brought the heat. He was fired up. He had that extra juice. He brought the heat. His fastball was great. And uh, But as they said, he threw a changeup that he hung it up in the zone and Colabello made him pay. With a hanging changeup in the second inning, one nothing Blue Jays. And then Volquez was very good. He walked in a run, though, with bases loaded in the sixth to make it 2 nothing. That ended his day. And then Herrera comes in, and Tulowitzki with a bases clearing, three-run double, opened the game up in the sixth inning. Blue Jays took a 5 nothing lead, and it was over because Marco Estrada, he was great. He, on the other end, Estrada was great, got into the eighth inning in this game. And I never would have thought he'd do that. I never thought... Estrada was going to take the ball yesterday uh, with his 89, 90-mile-per-hour fastball and take this game into the eighth inning. Estrada gets the win, seven and two-thirds, allowed only three hits, one run, 
walked one, struck out five. That one run coming on a home run in the eighth inning. That was it from Perez. So Estrada with a big day for Toronto. And you look at the last two games in this series, you know, I think game four, Toronto hurt themselves by not being able to get all over Chris Young and his 88-mile-per-hour fastball. And then in Game 5, and then Kansas City hurt themselves. They were not able to get all over Estrada in his 89, 90-mile-per-hour fastball. And here are the Blue Jays forcing a Game 6, which, again, will be tomorrow night in Kansas City. It is going to be David Price versus Yordano Ventura. I will preview this game a little bit more on tomorrow's podcast. Also on tomorrow's podcast. I will give you my picks, 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 five games with the spread every Friday for the NFL. Uh, I don't add the Thursday night game to my picks because I do it Friday and the Thursday night game's over. So hopefully that makes sense to you. It's pretty obvious why I don't add the Thursday night game to my Friday picks, picks. Week seven, though, it begins tonight with Thursday night football, and I am going to make a prediction for you. Oh, I got a prediction, baby. But I got a method to my madness. So please, don't just hear the pick and crucify me if I'm wrong. Hear the method to my madness and the reason for my pick. The Seahawks in San Francisco tonight, Thursday Night Football. The Seahawks are six and a half point favorites. The San Francisco 49ers, they are a team right now that is coming off a win over the Ravens in San Fran. They beat the Ravens 25-20. I mean, the Ravens are 1-5 this season, okay? And they should be 0-6 because the only win they have, the Pittsburgh Steelers, remember that Thursday night game? They handed the Ravens the game because they field Pittsburgh, Josh Scobie missed two field goals in the last two and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. And then in overtime, they, Pittsburgh decided on two different occasions on fourth down to not kick the field goal. And it's, excuse me, to not punt, not forget field goal, long field goal. They decided not to punt. I told you they should have punted. And they try to go. But if you're going to go for it on fourth down those two times, if you're Pittsburgh, you shouldn't have the play calling that you had in those two spots. So Pittsburgh handed that game to Baltimore. That's Baltimore's only win. They really should be. The Ravens should be 0-6. So when the San Francisco 49ers beat the Ravens last weekend 25-20, to I'm not too impressed with that. I'm not. On the 49ers side of things, they have a terrible pass defense, which is why last week for Seattle, you saw the Seahawks and you saw Jimmy Graham, what, 140 yards receiving, big day for him, big day for the Seahawks passing game, and a Seahawks loss to Carolina in Seattle. Uh, but I give credit to the, to the Panthers. If you heard me yesterday, last couple days, Cam Newton, that fourth quarter drive, late drive, Drove him downfield through the game-winning touchdown. Man, credit where credit's due. Panthers, you got to take them seriously now. They're undefeated. And while some of their wins early in the season were a product of their easy schedule and maybe even a win against the Saints in which Drew Brees did not play. Remember, he was injured in that game for the Saints against the Panthers. Panthers won. Panthers are undefeated. I looked at him and said, eh, they're not in that upper echelon category of elite undefeated teams. But now you got to put them there. When you can go into Seattle and win, you got to put them there. And the way they won, Cam Newton, team on his back, Superman, you name it, he did it. He ran one. He ran a touchdown in at the beginning of the game. He threw, ran one in early, threw one late. And uh, when the game was on the line, touchdown, they needed it. They get it. 
Game over. They win in Seattle. Um, so big win for the Panthers. That's a tough Panthers team. But my point is, when you look at Seattle, they are 2-4. and four. I've mentioned, I mentioned yesterday in my Week 7 preview, which you can get every Wednesday, and I'll mention it again today, this is a must-win. Sure, the Seahawks and the 49ers, they're both 2-4. and four. But when you look at the talent level on each team, it doesn't match up. Seahawks are a much better football team than the 49ers are, all right? And so Seattle, who I look at their division, and Arizona's in first place at 4-2, I, I see a Cardinals team this week that, I mean, who's picking them to lose Monday night against Baltimore? Anybody? They're going to win. They're going to be 5-2. and two. The Seahawks cannot afford to lose this game tonight on Thursday Night Football. I don't care where it is. I know it's in San Francisco. They cannot afford to lose this game and go 2-5. and five. It's a must-win for the Seahawks or their season is over. If you look at the two wins the Seahawks have, they're not, you know, they're not great wins. They shut out the Chicago Bears in Week 3, 26 nothing in Seattle. They then beat Detroit their next game at home in Seattle, only 13-10. Those are not, you know, very impressive wins by any stretch of the imagination. But the losses that Seattle has at St. Louis Week 1, they seem to struggle a lot. The last couple times I've seen Seattle in St. Louis, they seem to struggle. They lose 34-31 in St. Louis against the Rams. Then they lose at Lambeau, 21-17 against the Packers. Packers, one of the best teams in football. Lambeau is one of the toughest places to win. They did limit the Packers to 27 points. Hey, when you can limit Aaron Rodgers to only 27 points at Lambeau, given the fact that Aaron Rodgers usually puts up 35 to 40 at Lambeau, you know, you could take that as some type of moral victory at some point. You lose that game to the Packers, that, that's not a terrible loss. Um, then you win two, you get your two and two. You lose in Cincinnati. And I'm looking at that going, that's not a terrible loss either. Look at what the Bengals are doing. Andy Dalton's having an MVP-type season so far. The Bengals are undefeated. They look legit. And then you lose to Carolina. You'd like to win that game at home because it's at home if you're Seattle. And if you're Seattle, you've benefited from games at home so much the last couple of years. Well, you'd really, you wish you win that. You lose. It's an impressive drive by Cam Newton late. You got to tip your hat to what Cam Newton's been able to do this season if you're Seattle. And I think you look at it and say, well, it's not a terrible loss either. You don't want to be 2-4, and four, but the games that you've lost, I think outside of the Rams, I, I don't know that you look at those losses and say, wow, you know, we're a bad football team. If you're the Seahawks. So, but this is a must-win based on the record that they have because of those losses. They're two and four. They cannot afford to lose tonight in San Francisco, and they're a better team than the 49ers. And if you look at the 49ers' pass defense, they are last in the league, dead last in the league. They are the only team in the league, the 49ers, whose pass defense allows 300 yards a game. They allowed 306.2 yards a game in the air. 306.2 pass yards a game, San Francisco. And with maybe the Seahawks, after a big game for Jimmy Graham last week, you know, sort of trying to, sort of figuring out how to use him. And I think the Seahawks will be able to, to pass tonight against San Fran. At least the numbers show you that they should be able to. And on top of that, on top of that, you look at a couple other things here. 
Um, Marshawn Lynch on Thursday night football, on Thursday nights, averages 102 yards per game. 102 yards per game on Thursday night football. Uh, Another Thursday night stat. Um, Kaepernick is 2-4 against the Seahawks in his career in the regular season. Colin Kaepernick, 49ers quarterback. Kaepernick is 2-4 against the Seahawks in the regular season in his career. The two wins came in San Fran, okay. But last year, Kaepernick in San Francisco against the Seahawks, week 13, on Thursday Night Football, the Seahawks won 19-3. The last time these two teams played in San Fran, the Seahawks won 19-3. It was Thursday Night Football. It was Thursday, November 27th, week 13. You got, it was a field goal, heavy game. The Seahawks kicked one, two, three, four field goals. But they got a touchdown pass from Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson finished the game 15 of 22, 236 yards in the year. One touchdown, important stat, no interceptions. Marshawn Lynch in this game, 20 carries, 104 yards, no touchdowns. But the other important stat in this one, 49ers turned the ball over three times. Seattle turned the ball over zero. And Kaepernick in this game last year was 16 of 29 for 121 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. And um, the Seahawks did not let him run the football with Frank Gore. And the Seahawks won it 19 to 3 on Thursday night. And I don't see how things are going to be much different tonight. That's why I'm taking Seattle as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. All those things uh, that I mentioned. Look, if you're going to bet on Seattle to break out, which which I am doing, you bet on them to break out tonight. Tonight is the night. They have to. They have to. The other thing, uh, you look at Marshawn Lynch, you want to stay with that? In 10 career games for Marshawn Lynch versus the 49ers, 10 career games for Lynch versus the 49ers, Lynch has rushed for 88. He averages 88 yards per game. Russell Wilson has been... Very good against San Francisco in his career. Um, I'm trying to think if I could see any other stats that I had pulled up here. I mean, I don't have much other. I mean, I think I've, I think I've given you enough reasons to why, you know, my to give my reasoning for why I think the Seattle Seahawks are not just going to win tonight, but also going to cover six and a half point favorite. I'll take Seattle, San Francisco at this point. Given the team that the 49ers have, they just to me. I'm not a scary team at home, and I, I Seattle, I, I think they're going to go into San Fran tonight and cover. It's a prediction. You might not agree with it, but at least I gave you some reasons for that, right? I did. They should be able to pass on the 49ers. I think they should be able to run with Marshawn Lynch having success in his, his career, both on Thursday Night Football and, and against the 49ers. They should be able to pass, run. They should be able to score. Seattle should be able to score tonight, and... uh their defense should be good enough to be able to make sure that they win by at least six and a half. So the Seahawks minus six and a half. It's not part of my picks, 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 which I give on Friday, which I'll give tomorrow, five games with the spread. Just a couple other NFL notes here before I wrap up this show on this Thursday. Uh, A clarification to my week seven preview yesterday. Just one clarification of that. It's, and, and it's minor. But, you know, you get tweets and you get comments. People say, oh, you you mentioned that Bills-Jaguars game. Uh, that's 
That's not in Jacksonville, you know. That's in London. <laughs> it's in London. Sorry. At Wembley Stadium. Begins at 9.30 a.m. And if you're looking for it on TV, you're not going to find it because it's only on Yahoo Sports, Yahoo website. First of all, I would never watch this game anyways because the game sucks. The Bills are going to have their backup quarterback again. Their defense is mad at their coach. They're all over the place. If their trend continues, you know, the win-loss, 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 they're probably going to win because they lost last week. And the Jaguars are no good. So is this a game that, one, you're going to get up for and watch? Is this a game for two? If you can't watch it on TV, you're going to pull up on your internet and watch it? At 9.30 in the morning? Only watch on internet? No. I get it. You got a smart TV. If you have one of these TVs or if you got a PlayStation or an Xbox or an Apple TV or some other crazy device where you can, you know, put your anything that's on your computer or your phone or your tablet onto the TV. See, I don't have that. I have a PlayStation, but it, we some things going on in my apartment right now. It, it's not hooked up. So I'm probably not going to watch this Bills-Jacksonville Jaguars game. Not just for the reasons I mentioned, but really the main reason, I really don't care about it. And there's a lot of games on the schedule this week that I really don't care about. But I gave my preview for Week 7 on yesterday, Wednesday's podcast. Make sure you go check it out. I go into every game, uh, and I I break down my reasoning for every game, what I think is going to happen. I do that every Wednesday. And then every Friday, I take five of those games with the spread, and I make five picks a week. Picks, picks. Uh, I considered last week a bounce-back week. I will look for another bounce-back week. Tomorrow, and I'll give those. But just a clarification, the Bills-Jaguars game, it's at 9.30. It's not in Jacksonville. You're right for the people who are coming at me. It's in London. Sorry about it. And then one last thing, actually. I'm going to – I love the Patriots. I usually praise them. And I loved their tweet today where they had a throwback Thursday. Patriots did a a tweet. They threw a picture out there. And the comment was from the Patriots' Twitter account. It said, this seems relevant. And along with that comment, this seems relevant, they posted a picture of Mark Sanchez and the butt fumble. <laughs> it was up for, I don't know how long exactly it was up. I want to say a couple hours. They deleted it. They deleted it. I, now, I don't mind the tweet, and I don't get worked up when other teams tweet about the Patriots. Like, whatever. Have fun with Twitter. Especially the team accounts. It's one thing if the NFL or ESPN tweets something that's anti a certain team and especially is throwing out accusations that are just crazy and, and have not proven to be true, like Deflategate. That's a different thing. Then I'm all about the teams having fun with Twitter and going at other teams. I love that shit. Go ahead, do it. But when you do it, you better own it. I love the Patriots throwback Thursday tweet with the butt fumble today as they get ready to play the Jets on Sunday at 1 at Gillette Stadium. But I hate the fact that they deleted it after? Come on, Patriots. I know some of the people there for the Pats. I don't know who's exactly controlling that Twitter account, but I just got a message for you. Next time you do something like that, I want you doing something like that, but next time you do it, you got to own it. You got to keep it. Don't delete it because it makes you look worse than when you originally posted it. That's my opinion. Got to own it. You tweet it. Keep it. Don't delete it. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also listen on iTunes. Subscribe there and anywhere. Podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash The Danny Picard Show. All forms of social media. 
Again, I'm here every weekday. Get this show whenever you want. Tomorrow, I'll give picks, picks, five games with the spread, and I'll get into a little bit more of a preview for game six of the ALCS Blue Jays in Kansas City. And also, keep an eye out for my column in the Boston Metro. It's Bruins-related. It's Tuka Rask-related. It's much of the same of what I ranted on a little earlier in the show. It's just in writing for you. So check it out in print and on their website. Talk to you tomorrow.